We're going to talk today about King Solomon. Now, even if you're not familiar with the accounts of Solomon in Scripture, there's a good chance you probably have heard this guy's name and, and know a little bit about him. because he's, he's pretty famous. He's pretty well known for a number of things. Uh, for example, uh, whether people sort of have been around church or not in the past, it's somewhat generally known that King Solomon was the son of King David. King David, probably the best known king out of all scripture, King David, a, a man who it said was after God's own heart. And, and King David appointed King Solomon to be his predecessor after he died. We also know King Solomon is famous for being wealthy beyond compare. There's stories of just about how much, how much gold, and, and, and if you read through the Bible about his wealth, it says like silver was, pfft, silver's nothing. We have so much gold. Why would he even care about silver? There's so much gold around. And archaeologists today are actually are still uncovering and unearthing evidence of just how extensive his, his kingdom and the wealth of his kingdom was. Even to these very days, they're, they're finding evidence of the truth of that. We also know King Solomon was the one responsible for constructing the first temple in Jerusalem. King David had gathered this place for, but, but King Solomon was the one who actually oversaw the construction of it, and that became the center of worship for the nation of Israel in Jerusalem. And, and to this day, if you go to Jerusalem, the wailing wall that you see there is part of that, that temple that was built by King Solomon. But there's probably one other thing. What else? What else is King Solomon most known for? Probably his great wisdom. By, by far, wisdom. He's known as being the wisest person who ever lived. And we read about how he came about this wisdom in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3. And if you have your, your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there now if it's on your phones or if you brought your Bible with you. If you haven't got one, you can find a Bible in the pew in front of you. It would be on page 266. 1 Kings chapter 3. And while you're finding that, I just want to talk for a second about wisdom. Because sometimes we get wisdom confused with something else. Sometimes we get wisdom confused with this thing called intelligence. Just want to differentiate between those two for a second. And I'll do so by asking you a question. What would you call somebody who dedicated 10 solid years of their lives to studying one subject? You might call them a broke student, because that's probably part of who they are, of all the tuition fees they had to pay. But you probably also refer to them as, as a knowledgeable person. That, that person's very intelligent. They can talk extensively about that subject matter. But here's the thing. If that topic they studied for 10 years solid was, was, say, sports, for example, does that mean they're going to be a great athlete? If they studied finances for 10 years, does that mean automatically they're going to be wealthy? If they studied religion solid for 10 years, does that mean they're automatically going to be righteous? No. Because, you see, because there's a difference there's a difference between knowing about something and effectively putting that knowledge into practice. And that's the distinction between intelligence and wisdom. We can look at it this way as well. The difference between intelligence and wisdom is, is one is knowing. Intelligence is knowing while wisdom is properly doing. You know, intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, right? But wisdom is knowing you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. Do you agree with that? Wisdom or intelligence is knowing your wife's new hairdo is not as nice as her previous one. Wisdom is keeping your mouth shut, right? There's a difference between those two things. Now, when we look at Scripture, we see that the Bible is much more concerned about one of these things than the other. We see that the Bible is much, much more concerned about wisdom, about properly applying lessons, about properly applying the things that we learn about. 
if you were to look for certain words in the Bible, if you looked for the word smart, for example, it would come up zero times. If you were to look for the word intelligent or intelligence or a variation of that, you're going to find it in there, but it comes up about nine times in the entire Bible. But if you were to search for the word wisdom, you're going to find the word wisdom comes up 219 times. See, the Bible is much more concerned. God is much more concerned about how we apply this knowledge and truth we have as opposed to just keeping it and having it. And this shows actually how relevant the Bible is to our lives as well. Because all of life's big questions, all of life's big challenges, and all of life's choices create a yearning within us, whether we know God or not in our lives, whether we're following Him or not. These big questions and challenges and opportunities in our lives create within us this yearning for wisdom, yearning to make the right decisions. So I wonder, what decision, what situation are you currently facing in your life where you could use a healthy dose of wisdom that would just help out so much? Maybe you're in a moment in your life where you have a big decision ahead of you. You've reached this fork in the road and there are two paths in front of you. And both seem valid. Both have their pros and cons. Both have positive outcomes. Both have risks. And you just don't know which way to go, but you have to pick. Maybe you're in a new challenging situation in your life. Enter into a new season of life, into a new relationship, into a new position at work, whatever it may be, a new problem that you're encountering. And there are people counting on you. And you've got to decide. You, you can't just freeze. You need to decide. You know what you knew in the past? That ability that comes natural to you, that, the confidence that you typically have in this particular moment, all those things you had in the past that got you to where you are just in this particular moment don't seem to be enough. Well, Solomon finds himself in just that sort of a situation. That's exactly where Solomon finds himself in, in a situation bigger than himself, bigger than the past knowledge that he had had, bigger than his past experiences, bigger than his own innate ability, because he's in this moment where he is stepping out from the shadow of King David and having to step up to the throne as the leader of the nation of Israel. And as he moves into this moment, he knows that if he's going to be a good king, if he's going to be successful in this new venture that's put before him, it's not going to come down to who's the prettiest. It's not going to come down to who's the smartest or who's the strongest. Those are not the things that are going to make the difference. He knows that if he's going to be a good king, he has to seek the wisdom of God. And that will be the key for the challenges facing him. Because what he knew is that true wisdom is found in our relationship with God. And that is still true for us today, for all of us who are here today. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, we see how this all came about for King Solomon. And it takes place shortly after, the estab- after he is established as king of Israel, after his father David appoints him as king. Now in this season, the nation of Israel is expanding in size and in significance and power. And so in the first few verses of this chapter, we see that Solomon sets out to solidify his position as king over this growing, important nation. And so he wisely continues the work of his father, the work that his father had began. And and Solomon establishes an alliance with with Pharaoh down in Egypt, the the powerful nation of Egypt. And that alliance would have meant things like like trade routes and cooperation between the nations in a time of peace. But Solomon also wanted to to follow in the footsteps of his father David and in the example and instructions left by his father David by by declaring that he too would walk with the Lord, that he too would walk faithfully with the Lord as the leader of Israel. 
And so he goes to the tabernacle in Gibeon, which is just a short distance north of Jerusalem. And when he gets to this tabernacle in Gibeon, he worships God. One of the first things he does is he worships God. And, and the way he does it in this particular account is he sacrifices a thousand animals to God, as glory to God, in align with, with God's instructions to him. And after this time of worship, he goes to sleep that night, and God appears to him in a dream. And God says to him in this dream, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Could you imagine God coming to you and saying, whatever you want, it's yours. This is like, like that classic genie in the bottle kind of scene, right? That we see in movies and in Aladdin, the lamp and kind of thing where, where whatever you want is going to be granted to you. And, and as you're thinking about that question in your mind, I'm sure you already have ideas going through your head. There, there's common things that people would want. There's common things that, that kings of a powerful nation would want. They, they'd ask for things like, like, like who wouldn't ask for money? Like there's probably people here who are thinking, well, I could use a bigger house, that house I've always wanted. Or, or you know, those new Corvettes, man... They are nice, right? Or maybe you're thinking, I'm going through a tough time and and some healing. I could use some healing in my life. Or or maybe things are a little tough at home and you're like, some new kids. You know what? Some new kids, that's top of the list right now. Or or maybe maybe some hair. (laughs) You're having some issues on top there (laughs) for something like that. Of course, there's always the guy who's like, well, I just want to ask for more wishes because then I can have it all, right? But but what what does Solomon ask for? Well, we see this in verse 7. That Solomon doesn't think about this type of stuff. That instead, as, as we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, here's what Solomon asked for. He says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, a people that is too numerous to count or, or we could possibly number them. So, your servant asks for a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people? Who is able to govern this great people? Now, in his response here in in, in verses 7 through 9, we see three key things that happen here. First of all, he starts by praising God. He praises God by acknowledging that it is simply by God's power by God's will, by, by God's faithfulness to him and his ancestors, that Solomon is king. He, he understands that it is by God alone that he is king. And, and that this is the continued faithfulness of God to the covenant promise that he had made to his ancestors going, going way back. A, a promise first made over 500 years earlier to Abraham when God said, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, as numerous as the sands of the seashore. And that was a covenant that God was faithful to throughout the wilderness journey, throughout throughout the time in exile, throughout the wilderness journey, throughout the time, up until the time of David, when he reestablished this promise with David and said, somebody will sit on your throne forever. And the next thing that we see in this response is that he expresses humility. He says these words. He says, he refers to himself as a little child. Now, this isn't a reference to age or stature. 
See, around this time, Solomon's probably about 20 years old. He's, he's got at least one wife, if not more, and there's a high likelihood he has children at this point. So it's not a reference to age. Rather, it's, it's this sense that he, he understands that he lacks the innate ability for the task ahead of him. When he looks at the mountain, the, 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 the decisions, the obstacles, the situations ahead of him, he feels like a little child in light of what's in front of him. Because this is a huge nation. If you've ever been the leader of, of, of a team, the, the leader of a, maybe a, a team at work or a, or a team in sports, if you've been the head of an organization or a department at work, if, if you've been in charge of a team at church, you know what it's like to feel that burden of leadership. Now take that feeling and multiply it to the point where the size of Israel, where they are at a point where they truly are as numerous as the sands of the seashore. And imagine the situations that you're going to be facing, the questions, the challenges that are going to be coming your way. You know, and as powerful and as successful as you have been in the past, there's this sense of inadequacy, this sense of, of uncertainty, which leads him to ask the question, who is able to govern these people? Who is possibly innately, naturally equipped for this task ahead of me? It's beyond any of us to do that. The third thing he asked for in his request is he asked for something that is pleasing to God and pleasing to the situation as well. He asked for wisdom. He, he asked that he would have a discerning heart so that he could distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. He asked for something that is pleasing to the Lord. And in so doing, he demonstrates to the Lord that, that he's not acting from selfish motives. He's not acting from a heart of greed of just wanting to accumulate and build himself up and, and make himself more powerful. He proves to God he's operating from a sober-mindedness of understanding the magnitude of the task ahead of him. But this is important that we don't want to miss either. He also is explaining to God in this request that he is concerned for the people. Because he knows that if, he is going, if they are going to succeed and continue to thrive and flourish, he must succeed. And he will only do so if he walks in the footsteps of God, with the wisdom of God in his life. So how does God respond to him? We pick that up in verse 11. When God says to him, So the Lord said, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as your father David did, I will give you long life as well. God grants him the wisdom he asked for. And because he appears fit in character and in mindedness to understand what's ahead of him, God sees fit to give him other blessings as well. Because you've been wise in asking for divine wisdom, I also see that I can trust you with wealth. I can trust you with honor. I can trust you with long life for these things. And after this happens, Solomon wakes up and he realizes he's met with God. And what is the first thing he does? He goes back to worshiping God again. As he heads back to Jerusalem and worships God again. You see, when faced with these big challenges, when faced with these big decisions, when there's lacking of certainty for what lies ahead in these days, Solomon was wise enough to know that true wisdom is found in our relationship with God. But even as I say that, there may be some people here who want to challenge it. Because I know all of us have encountered people in this world who are wise. 
is that, that wisdom is not exclusively necessarily held by God alone. That we've encountered people who we find are very, very wise. These are people who have been there for us. They've, they've offered wise counsel in difficult situations. They've guided us through tough times. They've given us insights that we just, we just hang on to in our memories, and they've been so treasured in our past. I have those people in my life too. There are people in my life who I know I would not be where I am today if it were not for their wise counsel as I was walking through this, through this journey of life. But here's the thing. When we talk about wisdom, there are different types and different sources of wisdom that we experience. For example, one common type of wisdom we experience is, is innate wisdom. This is wisdom that is just sort of naturally inborn within people. It's just people naturally have this ability to understand and process life in the world in certain ways that they have innate ability for wisdom. People are just sort of naturally wise. There's evidence that Solomon possessed a great sense of innate wisdom. If you were to flip back a chapter, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, his father David even says, Solomon, you are a wise man. David sees that. He calls that out in his son, that he has this innate wisdom. And this enables him to make some wise decisions early on in his reign, even prior, like making this alignment with, with, with Egypt, even prior to making the request of wisdom from God. But there's another type. There's a type of wisdom that is like learned wisdom. And, and this is quite often gained through, through effort and through hard work or, or through careful observation of different experiences that we have, where we learn this from other people. If we have mentors, coaches, teachers, pastors, parents, people who are in our lives and, 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 and can instill wisdom into us, there's no doubt that you have those people in your life. That as I say, who are the wise people in your life? There are names that come to mind immediately of the wise people that you keep around you in your life, and they offer good guidance to you. We also learn from experiences. We gain wisdom through experiences. Sometimes, quite often, through mistakes. Our mistakes make us wiser. You only, only have to get hit in the face with a baseball one time to know you either got to learn to catch or duck. Right? You become wise pretty quick when that happens. Right? Solomon also learned this through, through example, that his father, David, had walked faithfully with the Lord, and it went well for him. That his kingdom had grown in power, and God was faithful to him. And, and, and blessed him in his life. And so he saw through example that he could then imitate and have in his own life to walk faith with the Lord. But there's a third kind. There's also divine wisdom. And this is wisdom that comes from God and is unmatched in any other forms. And ultimately, this is what Solomon was seeking. So he had the other ones. He had innate wisdom. He, he demonstrated that in the past. People called it out to him in the past. He had experiential wisdom. He had mentors in his life. He had put that wisdom into practice. But even though he had innate wisdom and learned wisdom, he reached a point where he still felt inadequate. He still was calling out for this divine wisdom to be his. You see, while other forms exist, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be looking into and taking advantage of other forms of wisdom in life, what I'm saying is that all of those other forms of wisdom are lacking because they're all based upon human wisdom. They're all based upon the wisdom of man, wisdom of, of human experiences in this world. And regardless of how wise and how godly a person is, a person is still a person, which means a person is still fallible and still has challenges within their own hearts, within their own minds and spirits. And they, they themselves, no matter how wise, will still from time to time wrestle with envy and bitterness and selfish ambitions. And these are just limiting factors on the ceiling that can happen for human wisdom. And there's a wisdom above that that can only be found in God. A wisdom that is pure and pleasing and perfect and comes from the Lord. This is what Solomon was seeking after. And this is what was granted to him. And then 
after it's granted to them, as we continue reading in chapter 3, this wisdom is then put to the test in a familiar story, which is where we encounter our 316 passage for today. We see this starting in verse 16 in what almost sounds like the opening line of a really bad joke. It starts off by saying, two prostitutes walked into the king's court. Now they walk in and they have a dispute. It's a complicated situation. And they need someone with great wisdom to resolve it for them. And here's the nature of the dispute. See, these two prostitutes live in a house together. And both of them become pregnant around the same time, and they both give birth within a few days of each other. Now the first lady who is talking to King Solomon tells this tragic story. This tragic story how one night both of them are asleep with their sons, and one of the ladies, the other lady, rolls over on top of hers, and he dies. And then she accuses this other lady of in the middle of the night of swapping the babies. So that the lady who's speaking, when she wakes up, she finds this child who has died in the night with her, and she mourns for him. But then as she looks at him, she realizes, that's, that's not my son. And she looks at the other lady who has the child who is still living and goes, that's my son. You swapped these. You're trying to swindle me. And of course, the other lady is like, no, the living child is mine. Yours is the one who has died. And so they come before King Solomon to decide who's the mother, whose child is this now, if this happened in today's world, it could be solved very easily. You just send them to the Maury Povich show, and he'll do a DNA test and solve it immediately for them, right? But they don't have access to that sort of evidence at the time. So they've got to find another way. But there's no witnesses, so there's nobody else to collaborate, one person's story or the other. All that Solomon has to go on is simply the word of two distraught mothers. So what does he do? Well, before we get to that, I just want to ask you a question. As you hear this story, does it strike anybody else as curious that these women are able to so easily gain access to King Solomon's court? Like, think about it. Solomon is the most powerful man in the land. And these two prostitutes are able to just walk in and bring their case before the king? That's a pretty big open-door policy for a person to have. I don't, I'm not sure what other situations you may find yourself in where there's that large of an open-door policy. So I think there might be something more going on here. You know, it's possible, for example, that, that this had gone through some lower court systems that did exist at the time, but they weren't able to have the wisdom. They weren't able to find a solution, and so it kind of kept getting pushed up the levels until it finally arrives in King Solomon's court. But is it also possible that King Solomon's wisdom goes beyond just knowledge and intelligence, that his wisdom actually goes to a heart issue as well? Whereas he is walking with the Lord, as he, is, as he is trying to follow in the footsteps of his father who had a heart after God's own heart, is it possible that he has this open-door policy because part of the wisdom he has received from the Lord, part of that divine wisdom also comes with a divine heart where he is willing to take up the case of the orphan and of the widow and of the oppressed. And so they do have right to come in and experience God's wisdom. See, society had failed these women. Society had failed them and cast them aside. But the king has time. And the king has wisdom to have compassion for even the most vulnerable people of society, which aligns with God's heart for all people. Now his response to them, his response doesn't seem to, to, to pull that out because it seems almost a little bit too heartless at first. But let's see how he responds and gets to the heart of the issue that was not 
so apparent at first. And so in response, King Solomon starts to recount the story. He says, okay, so let me get this straight. You say my son's alive and her son has died. But you say, no, my son is alive and her son has died. How are we going to resolve this? Well, verse 24. Verse 24 says, Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword to the king. He then gave an order, Cut the living child in two, and give half to one mother and half to the other. Now the woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, No, please, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him, for she is the mother. And when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Remember, wisdom is knowledge properly applied. Now what did Solomon know? He knew human nature. He knew the nature of a mother, that a mother's love would cause her to sacrifice anything and everything for her child's life. Even her own relationship with him, if it meant that he would continue to live. And in this wisdom, understanding the situation human nature and how to put these things together and properly apply them to come to the proper verdict people were in awe and saw that he had wisdom that could only possibly come from God and this is reminiscent of when Jesus would teach if you read the stories when people encountered Jesus when asked him questions would try to test him the way that he would respond to them was such God-given wisdom that they themselves would be in awe to the point where eventually scripture says that people would just walk away and would no longer ask him try to trick him and test him because he was so full of wisdom. So what does this story teach us? What is the story of these two women coming before Solomon to find out his wisdom? It teaches us this, that no matter how you slice it, true wisdom has found our relationship with God. Let that sink in. It's okay to groan because no matter how you slice it, true wisdom is found in our relationship with God. Now, these two women turn to Solomon to resolve their dispute. Because he is seen as the greatest source of wisdom available to them. Their, their innate ability was insufficient. The lesser courts had proved ineffective. And so they were seeking out divine guidance. So I want to come back to that first question I asked you. What about you? When you find yourself in a situation where you are stuck, when, when you feel inadequate, when you need guidance and discernment, what do you turn to? Is your default, is, your, is maybe your current state trusting in that innate wisdom? I'm a wise person. People come to me, ask me questions all the time. Why can't I just lead myself? Do you, do you turn to experience from past in your life? Do you, do you turn to other human wisdom that may exist in the world? This is a big question for all of us to consider. Because I think we would all agree that regardless of how old we are, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of whether we even believe in God or not, everybody in this world is searching for answers. Everybody is searching for guidance. Everyone is searching for something to help them court their path through life's big challenges and questions. The further evidence of this is found in a, in a report that came out about a year and a half ago. This, this broad search for answers that exists in society. There's a business report that came out in the States, a, a, jobs, a 2016 jobs report 
that showed a massive increase in psychic services. These are people who, who coordinate and give you answers to questions through things like horoscopes and palm readers and tarot cards and, and mediums and astrology. And this big boom, this sort of this, this industry has grown up to where there, in the United States there's 85,000 employees that are in this field receiving $1.5 billion in wages and generating $2 billion in revenue. All in the pursuit of answers. All in the pursuit of guidance and wisdom. How do I deal with this, search for this, look for this, overcome this, deal with this? This massive industry of looking after these things has come up. And, and I gotta tell you, I imagine a lot of you would agree with me that these don't seem to help and they're even dangerous. The fact that there's so many people looking for answers and it's becoming so large actually proves that it's not working because if you could look to those things and get answers, you wouldn't go back and it wouldn't be a growing industry, it would be a dying industry because you'd be receiving the answers you're looking for. But because you don't, you go back time and time again and it self-perpetuates into a larger and larger industry. But I have to ask you the question like this. Why in the world would you look to the stars for answers when you can look to the maker of the stars for the answers? King David knew that. King David said in Psalm 111, verse 10, he said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. It says here, the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now we talk about the fear of the Lord, he's not talking about being scared of God. We actually do see that in Scripture. There's moments where people encounter God and they are just terrified. But that's not the application he's looking at here. When he's talking about fear of the Lord here, he's talking about the sense of reverence and awe. Having reverence and awe for God is the beginning of wisdom. It's that moment that you come to realize that there is something beyond yourself that you need. That the innate wisdom, that the human wisdom is not cutting it in this situation. Where you come to believe, first of all, that there is a God. That there is a God who loves you that there is a God who is available to you, and then when you are struck with that reality, you choose to bring your life under his guidance. This is the entry point into a relationship with God, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of wisdom. Because there's a next part to the verse where it talks about the, if you will, the, the middle of wisdom. Where the middle of wisdom is where we follow these precepts. Precepts meaning teachings and instructions that God has given us in his word. And if we follow his precepts, then we will have good understanding. Because see, seeking after God and coming under God's guidance is not a one-time event. It has an initiatory event, but it's not a one-time event. But if you truly begin to find wisdom through fear in the Lord, if that fear is genuine, that reverence and awe is genuine, it will then enter you into an ongoing process of walking with the Lord. And as you walk with him, it's this idea of a, this image of a journey where you're walking with him and you are learning and growing and through that process of gradual time over time of learning and growing, it leads to a change of heart and a change of mind. You know, in, in a, a couple of days, there's some guys in the church who are gonna be taken off to go do some backcountry camping. And, and these guys are going on a journey. And as they walk together, some of these guys don't even know each other. They'll be shaking hands and exchanging names for the first time when they start that trip. But along that journey, that's the initiatory event, but along that journey, they're going to spend time talking and learning and growing together. And at the end of that journey, if, as long as they get along, it's going to be friendships that'll last a long time. The same thing happens is within the key to our wisdom within God. It's an ongoing journey of learning and following and growing. 
Because reality is, if we only turn to God in our times of need, if you only turn to God for his wisdom in our times of need, even if he gave it to you, you probably wouldn't follow it. Because following God would be a foreign concept to you. Even if you asked the question and he gave you that immediate answer, you probably wouldn't follow it because you're not accustomed to following God. You see, God's wisdom does not come like a bolt of lightning. It appears in a moment and then is gone. You see, God's wisdom grows in our spirit on a daily basis as we feed ourselves through the word of God and through prayer as we we come under his guidance and walk with him on a daily basis. That's where it comes from. It's not a momentary bolt of lightning. It's a journey with him where we walk according to his precepts and come to have good understanding. It's not something we just take from God in a moment, but it's something that we cultivate in God through a lifetime. And if we do that, we then come to the end of wisdom, which is where we return praise back to God forever. Because if we can do this, if we initiate into this relationship with him, and then if we walk with him, the end of that is not only seeing that he is the true source of wisdom, which makes him worthy of our praise, but it's also understanding and experiencing the difference that God makes in our lives. And we come to see that life now and forever is better with Jesus than without. And we return praise back to him for that. Now, I don't know what you may be facing in your life right now, what, what, what choices, what questions, what situations there may be. I don't know what's going on in your life that you could use a healthy dose of wisdom for, but I do know this, that no matter how you slice it, true wisdom is found in our relationship with God. Because in him, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the middle, and the end of all wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man to ever walk the earth. The Bible tells us. And he asked God for wisdom. It was granted to him. But so much more was given as well. You know, and some people at that time heard about the the wealth and the wisdom of Solomon, and they were skeptical. They, they didn't believe, they thought this can't possibly be true. People are just telling stories. And so they would actually go on long journeys to come and see, see Solomon, to check it out for themselves, because seeing is believing. And so there, there, one example that we read about in 1 uh, Kings chapter 10 is where the Queen of Sheba comes, comes up from Egypt up to c- come see him. And when she meets Solomon, it says that she's in awe. She's just in awe of God's blessings upon him. And she sees for herself that, yeah, he truly does have wisdom, and he truly does have wealth, and there's great joy throughout the nation. And she sees it for herself, and she believes, and she aligns herself with what people had heard. But you know, when Jesus walked the earth, there are people who heard about his wisdom, people who heard about, about his love and about his teachings that he, he offered to all people. And he had his skeptics as well. People who would come and see him, come and, and ask him questions so they could see it for themselves. And, and those who came with the right motives, those who came with the right hearts, had their lives transformed by their encounter as they themselves came to believe and came to see the truth that this is God's son that this is one who reveals the kingdom of God and his love and his grace and his truth for all people there's also those who came with the wrong motives simply wanted to trip him up and and test him and, and prove him to be false he said this to them in Luke chapter 9 verse 30 Jesus said to his his skeptics at the time He said, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment of the people with this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. 
And now something greater than Solomon is here. You see, Jesus is arguing this way. He's saying if the queen of Sheba traveled all this way to hear about Solomon, and when she saw him and spoke with him, she herself believed that he had God-given wisdom. How much more impressed should we be? How much more in awe should we be? How much more should we believe in this God-given Savior that was standing before them? Jesus was not just a teacher. He, He didn't just come to display the wisdom of God as Solomon was so able to do. He came to reveal the way to the Father. He came to reveal, to say, you know that initiatory event where you come into relationship with God? I came to make that a reality for you. Out of love, God sent me so that I could walk among you and reveal the kingdom and and God's grace and truth to you. But then ultimately, he says, "I, I came so I could give my life, that I would die upon the cross to pay the price for your sins so that the way would be open so that whoever wants to follow God, whoever wants to walk with him and grow with him and enter into these blessings of wisdom and joy and peace with God forever, that that way has been made open through Jesus Christ. You see, it's the dream of all people of all times to have the ability to make the right decision. It it really doesn't matter if you lived in the ancient Near East or if you live today. It doesn't matter if you were a king or an average Joe or, or, or a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you have a question about work, about family, about finance, about school, about medical, about whose baby this is. It doesn't matter who you are, where you lived, where you're from, what your question is. The first question that needs to be answered is, who is Jesus? That's the first question we need to have wisdom to answer, is who is Jesus? And if we have wisdom to make that first choice to follow God through him, we can then have the knowledge that good choices will be made because of that first choice. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It begins with that relationship with God. As we close here today, I just want to invite you if you'd stand for a minute. The worship team will come forward and join me on the platform here. And just as as you stand there and as the team comes forward, I invite you just to to bow your heads for a second. I want to pray for you in a moment. But, But before I pray, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Now, if you are currently facing something in your life where you could use that healthy dose of wisdom, I want to pray for you. If you're in a situation in life where, where you've, you, you've never gone beyond that innate trust and that innate experience and those experiences of human wisdom, even for your own salvation, even for your own forgiveness, you've never looked beyond yourself or other people, you, you've never looked to God. I want to pray for you. If, if maybe you're going through something and you, you know I haven't trusted in myself, but I, I, need, I need to trust in God and not me, I want to pray for you. If you've never taken that step to walk with the Lord, or if you need to start walking with him again, I want to pray for you. So as you consider those, those questions, if there's something in your life that you need wisdom for, if, if, there's, if you need to confess you've trusted in your own wisdom instead of God's wisdom, if you've never taken that step or need to get back on track with God again, I just ask if you would, if you would just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, first and foremost for Jesus Christ. The one that you sent, the one that you came that, that the one that came to to not just reveal your incredible wisdom, Lord. 
the one who not only came to, uh, to reveal your truth and your love and your grace, Lord, but the one who also came to make a way to open that door that we could be in relationship, that we could truly experience, know what it means to, to walk with the Lord now and forevermore. God, we know that he came and gave his life so that, that all, everyone's sin, mine included, Lord, the price could be paid. So, Lord, for those who are here who, who have never made that step of, of profession of faith in him, who have never come under the guidance of the Lord and submitted themselves to him, God, I pray that right now in these moments, as they give their lives to you, that they would sense your presence in their lives, that they would surrender that to you. God, for those who have been, who have been wandering and need to come back on track, God, I pray that you would bring people around them to walk with them for a while, to guide them. It's together, shoulder to shoulder, we walk in godly wisdom. And Lord, for those who are here, who, who are facing challenges and choices and uncertainty, and they know that it's not within themselves, they need to look beyond themselves to find that wisdom and to find that step that they need to take. God, I just pray that the spirit that is among us and within us would guide us in those ways, would answer those questions, would reveal your truth, that we would have the courage, that we would have the certainty to take that step. And trust that we don't need to know every step. We just need to know the first step and know that you are with us and you will guide us in this path as we walk with you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us, for coming to us, for dying for us, for saving us, and for walking with us. Because, Lord, we believe that life in this and the next is better with Jesus than with him. Amen.